Let me show you how it's done. Well, well, welcome. You are listening to The Drop, Drop, a podcast on business, tech, and influence. I am one half of The Drop, Tam Dania, head of strategy. I lead insights and product. I focus on tech, in particular, solutions that solve real-world problems. And I'm here with... My name is B. Pagels Minor. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I have been a product manager for over a decade at some of the world's most well-respected companies like Sprout Social, Apple, and Netflix. I've led teams that built important parts of the App Store, launched games at Netflix, built listening at Sprout Social. All in all, my DNA is fully being a product manager. The story that came out is the end of the millennial lifestyle subsidy. And what they're talking about is the fact that uh, a lot of startups are, are laying employees off in large amount, and that capital is drying up the venture capital space. But before I get your, your, your opinion on that, I'm gonna ask you this. Uh, well, I'm gonna give you this piece of fact, right? There's a story that came out maybe about a year ago that nearly every mobility tech spec, so special purpose acquisition, uh, this, this vehicle that allows startups to go public without the scrutiny of a traditional IPO. A lot of mobility companies um, went public that way, uh, Bird being one of them. And uh, Yahoo did a study that said nearly every mobility tech stock is trading at $100 billion less than their um, their launch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just basically saying what it was valued at is basically not valued at that time. And so I wanted to say that in the context of now this story that the end of the millennial lifestyle subsidy. So my first question to you is, uh, what does this really mean for consumers? Like, how do you explain what that storyline means? So, so the high level of how I think about it, right? You know, you've been able to take Uber or Lyft and go from point A to point B for, I don't know, let's say if I, when I was in Chicago, it would be like 10 or 15 bucks to go from downtown Chicago to the north side, right? And the only reason it costs 10 or 15 bucks, though, this entire time is simply because Uber had a lot of other venture capital coming in that allowed them to maintain that price point. Regardless of if gas prices went up, obviously they don't have an employee base based on all the filings that they've had in court. So they didn't have to pay all these drivers. Those drivers got paid a percentage of whatever they drove. Now with venture capital drying up, now with the stock market, now with interest going up, they no longer have that ability to do that. So that 10 or $15 ride is probably gonna be 20 or 25 or 30 or $35 because that's actually how much it costs to go from point A to point B. So for the average consumer, you're gonna see, you're gonna, you're gonna go look at your app and you're gonna go be like, wow, like this trip cost this much a month ago and now it costs this much. And so what's really happening is, is that the thumb that has been on the scale allowing these companies to grow without any business fundamentals really, um, it's, it's, it's been pulled off the scale. And so now we're seeing reality. Right, like we're seeing the reality of what these things cost and how much it actually costs for them to do that. And in fact, you know, their CEO was talking about the fact that they have to reassess unit economics, right? And so all he's really saying yeah. is, is like, we really cannot afford to do this anymore. Like, we really have to be a fundamentally sound business in order to move forward in this new environment. And the thing is, is hallelujah, right? Like, this is finally so we're finally getting to the point that it doesn't matter who your friends are in Silicon Valley, in venture capital, all that matters is if your business actually solves a real problem and does it at the does it with the right margin, 
right? Like that's what that's that's what it should be. Like that should that should be how businesses actually operate. And now they actually have to do that. Right now, we're in a different world now. It isn't because I would say if you take a look at this like a broader, this is what Kara Swisher calls like assisted living for millennials. A lot of startups are propped up this way. Even Uber, who is in uber successful company i think anybody can say that it's been around more than 10 years now um this is kind of how the startup game works right a company uh comes up and it highly subsidizes the acquisition of a, a customer in order for it to attain growth or achieve growth right um I mean, but this is the game. Like, is this a new way that things are happening? Should we just as consumers expect that, hey, if we see a new company coming and offer us a deal that's too good to be true, take it for a ride for the short term, but no, in order for that company to survive, um, it's eventually gonna raise prices. No, I think we could definitely say that that's exactly what's going to happen. And I also think that consumers realize it, right? Like if I'm on Twitter on any given day, someone might be posting something like, you know, Disney Plus has one more time to raise my price, you know, or, or Netflix has one more time to raise my price. Like your value is starting to not meet what I think the price that you deserve for right. your services, right? right? So we know that consumers are hip to this, right? They, they know that this is happening. And they know that there's a threshold where it's no longer valuable to them, right? And you and I talk about it all the time. We talk about product market fit, right? And how difficult right. it is. And people think that it starts, that it's it, that you do it at the beginning and then it's done. And it's, that's not true. Like it's a constant, re, you have to constantly reassess Check. the environment to figure out if you are actually meeting your product market fit. And one of those conversations is, is like, your service can be really excellent, but if a person doesn't feel like the value quite meets what that 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 price is that you put in front of them it makes sense for them to take a step back and say you know what let me see if there's another option out there right and so what's going to end up happening here and this is really fascinating right because you know all of these startups they were they were fundamentally interesting right because they did help you know speed up technological change in certain areas and i think that's like very effective you know especially like the gig working economy like if, if uber had not existed there wouldn't be gig working and people wouldn't have thought about how to apply that same model to so many other types of industries. Sure. But what's going to end up happening is that I, I can't wait to see who's going to enter into this market, right? So the company right. that, that, that already is like, oh, we are sound. We understand exactly how much this is going to cost. We're going to put this place, right. put this in place in the right way. Um, you know, we're going to make sure that the margins make sense. Like the, mo- the more fundamentally sound company will probably enter the market now. And then they're going to actually create the product that's sustainable for the next, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. You know, I think what you're really saying, something that you, you hit on is that there is um, innovation um, despite viability, right? Like yes. Uber creating the gig economy, that's an innovative thing um, that's probably here to stay, uh, regardless if Uber is here to stay. And I think, that, honestly, that's how I feel about crypto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there will be innovation beyond this little bubble right here. Uh, but I think that for the purposes of this discussion, right, you can identify that there are customers that are involved in this triangle, right, mm-hmm. in, in this relationship, but there are VCs and startups. And so here's the question, right? Um, do VCs and startups want the same thing? So I'm not sure. So actually I was like, cause you, you know, you, you and I were texting back and forth about this. And so like, I kind of want to tell, like I was like talking to this like VC founder, right? And he was talking about some of his like, 
companies that are in his portfolio, the ones that he really think are like really quite excellent and all this other type of stuff. And he was like, yeah, you know, like I actually went to school with this guy. Oh, like, you know, we were both a part of the same alumni group. Oh, we were both a part of the same like blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, wait, is this just like, is this like a fraternity of dudes who just like are at different companies and are just like helping each other out? And so on that, yeah. so from that example, I was like, well, maybe they do want the same things, right? But then I think about the other examples that maybe aren't like that, right? When you think about like, you know, the, the A16, you know, like those folks, right? You know, they have a very different thing, which is they want to grow, they want a company to grow exponentially as large as possible and give the, the greatest value. And I know many founders that I have met are terrified of that prospect. They're terrified of having their baby get so, so big that they lose complete control over what it was supposed to be because they don't want to be the next meta, right? They don't want to be Mark Zuckerberg. They want to be able to kind of still have some kind of control. I completely agree that VCs and startups don't want the same thing. VCs are playing portfolio strategy. What they are essentially saying is an investor in LP gave me $100 million to make good use of. And the opportunity cost of that $100 million, they could have invested in the stock market Right, maybe got a 10% year over year return. I have to do better than that to justify giving me $100 million, right? And um, the way that they do that is by looking for opportunities that can get them the biggest return within that 10 year frame, right? Mm-hmm. So they're looking for those $1 billion opportunities. The thing is that they come in so early, in order to get a return, you have to come in really, really early. And I don't think VCs are in the best position to know at the very, very early stage what is going to be a billion dollar company in the future. Well, and also, thank goodness, because that's why we have jobs. (laughs) Like, that's why we make our money. Let's just be truthful. Right, 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 right. But in that, knowing that uncertainty or that gap in knowledge of what is a definite win means that they have to do arbitrage, right? And they have to bet on a lot of things. And they're not totally... Um, incentivized to make sure one of these babies pop. They just want any a good number of them to pop to justify any LP giving them their money over just putting it in the stock market or anything safe like real estate or whatever, whatever the exactly. alternative is. Um, startups don't think like that. They don't have portfolio arbitrage. They're not doing a portfolio strategy. They're here to solve one thing. And to your point, maybe they're not thinking about a billion dollars. To be quite frank, most startups have never seen a billion dollars, right? Yeah. Like this found this is almost um, unconscionable to them. You know, they can't even fathom that. So this is kind of already set up as a misalignment. So I think it's right for this to, this kind of uh, impact to, to happen, right? Um, the VC wants to make as many bets as possible and see which one pops. And so they're incentivized to pour money into them just to see what works um, to the detriment of many or just some of those um, startups you know so interesting about that too well so one thing that that, just to add because there's something there that you said that i think is like very important right because vcs don't necessarily have the skill set or knowledge to have like to understand what that like that longer trajectory might look like right because what they're doing is what school this person go to you know what companies have they worked at have they had any exits and then they're like okay let me look at the product that's what it actually feels like a lot of times right because right? right. it, no, it's very it's a lot of signaling for sure. exactly and so that's why it's interesting because there are these new venture comp venture capital groups that are coming together who are like we're operators right so it's people who've exited out like very large and they were like well let's do this venture thing now Right. And they are the ones that are going to be very compelling. And I think that's where we'll actually start getting to that, like that new model. Right. Because they can actually say, 
I built my company to a billion dollar company by doing X, Y, Z. And I can see specifically that you aren't doing that. Right. So let's talk about what it looks like to do this more, you know, more logically and more successfully. And I actually think that that will like and, and, and the thing and the thing that's so interesting to me is like, why hasn't anyone like any any venture company could have gone out and hired a bunch of really smart operators to help augment their talent. Right. To help show what the what the world could look like yeah and that's what i'm saying i'm like if, if like so this is my ass of people if you're a vc right now and you don't have the internal talent go hire some people go hire some people to help augment you because you know what the data lies like gen z is completely different than every other generation has ever been there so whatever product that you think has done where you're like oh it looks like this type of product i hate when i get an email and they're like it, it's this type of product it's it, it's modeled after this other company i'm like that company's yeah. good right now but when Gen Z becomes like one of the, the, the like the leading economic groups in this country, they're not going to care about that. They're not even going to remember that company that you're mentioning. You know, so let's think solve the problem now. It doesn't matter. Exactly. And like, so let, and let's, now it's changing every single time. Now changes with the time. Exactly. And that's all I'm saying. Let, let's be let's think let's think more long term. We can do this. That's what it's supposed to be. I want to be a part of the soft bank group. Give me a 10,000 year plan. Like, give me the 10,000 years. I'm good. Like, let's because, you know, the thing is, it's like we people think in such a small, narrow focus. But if you start if you start extrapolating out, like I told my wife all the time, my wife will be like, oh, well, it feels stressful right now. And I'm like, but we're this is a 40 year plan. This is not this is not a six month plan. This is not a one year plan. This is a 40 year plan. What does 40 years look like to grow into whatever you want to be later on? And then it becomes very simple. All right, here's a, here's a question for you. How would you describe the goal or role of a VC to a layman? So, you know, this is like really hard. So basically, if you were a layman, so a VC. So a VC is a group of people, right? So, yeah. so it's a group of people who've pulled money together. So it's either, mm-hmm. it's sometimes those people's money or they've gotten money from outside people. And then they look at companies and they say, hey, company A, B, C, D, or company A, B, C, D might approach them. And they're like, give me, let me know what your idea is. I'll think about it. If it's viable, I might invest in you. So VCs ultimately, they are just, the, they are the ones, they are the sugar daddies of startups that write checks so those startups can do what they want to do in life, you know? So that's what they are. <laughs> the sugar daddies. I, I got another. So if I had to give an explainer, a explainer on VCs, here's what I came up with. Uh, think of VCs like semen, right? <laughs> VCs shoot capital like sperm, right? And uh, you got to shoot a lot of sperm, hoping that one of them pops and connects with an egg, right? But that really is the strategy. That really is. Shoot as much sperm as you can, Right one of them is going to be strong enough to, to hit that egg and, and pop and make something, right? But the reality is you don't know, so you got to keep shooting a lot of sperm. And maybe several of them hit with an egg. But then at that point, it's like having kids, right? You can have a lot of kids, but not all of them are going to be brilliant, right? You're going to have some that are failures, some, you know, you hope can get married and maybe make it off, right? You hope they get married off and then some really become brilliant, right? So it's like shooting a lot of sperm, hoping one of them hits an egg, hoping that egg hatches and hopefully that that um, uh, that child becomes something. But like men who have um, a lot of money, 
they shoot a lot of sperm across the board, right? And so they're almost indiscriminate to some point. It almost seems indiscriminate in the way that they, they kind of propagate or spread their money around. And so I think that from a startup standpoint, you should not look at uh, the investment in a startup as any kind of indication that that startup is going to be the superstar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no indication in the, that the, the signal of an, of, of an investment means it's gonna be a darling, right? It just means that there was a guy shooting a lot of sperm. Well, <laughs> so basically you said VCs are future. Okay, I got you, I got you. I understand what you're saying here. Um, the only thing I would say is, they do have a conversation first usually. So that so there's usually the conversation first. That's the big difference. I'm not suggesting that future doesn't have conversations. Oh, I am suggesting he does not have conversations. I am wholly suggesting this. So but I, you know, VCs usually are at least like, you know, let's let's talk about it a little bit before, you know. <laughs> they do take you to dinner. They usually do. There's usually a meal. There's usually a meal. Yeah. Wow, future. Look like a VC. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, but I, but your point is like very well taken. Like, and then, and the other thing is, is like they, they're trying to get. They're like, can I get quadruplets? Can I make? Can you become? You know, can you just do all the things for me? And then they're they're hoping that you that that you also can take care of them in retirement, right? So that's that's the only additions right. that I would say there. But I think that you're. I like your example more than I like my example. Yes, as someone who's been around for a while, you're you're. I mean, we're pretty much in our careers. A startup comes to you and says, four years, uh, here's your equity, whatever. Um, are you really, what's your evaluation at that point? Yeah, so I've you never, so. Like you did first out of college, yeah? So first and foremost, I never believed in equity. Like this is gonna be, this is very silly, but I've always been like, it's fake money. It's fake money. I'm like, my base salary, my bonus, that's my money, right? That's right. And so that money has to look good, and that equity, which is like this fake, like mysterious thing that may come or may not come, that's just the extra, right? In fact, that's why I left Apple to go to Netflix because Netflix was just cash only. I was like, I could buy my own stock. I don't need to, I don't need your hopeful stock. Like I can just go buy my own stock and manage my own finances, right? So I hope that more employees feel that way, right? Because like, I would, like I've, I've had people that I've mentored, right? And they came to me yeah. and they were like, oh, like, you know, there's this company and there's this company. This company doesn't have as much equity. And so I was thinking about taking this comp- this other one over here that, that is a little bit smaller of a salary, but it has more equity. And I was like, but do you know, like, do you think this company is so fundamentally sound that if you, cause like, because part of the plan is, it's like people, people don't cash out. Like as soon, like some people cash out as soon as their equity hits. So I guess we should explain a little bit. So standard contracts or standard employment agreements, right? In Silicon Valley, in tech world, the tech world, stuff like that, is that you get a base salary, you know, generally low six figures or a little bit below that, right, for most of those companies. Like, you know, some companies might go up to like 200 or something thousand dollars or something like that. But most of them, you know, somewhere, you know, $80,000, 150000 or 160000 is not that atypical. You might get a bonus. The bonus is usually 10 or 15% of whatever your salary is. And then you have mm-hmm. equity. And so equity is usually RSUs, which are restricted stock units. And it's usually some amount of money that vests over four years. And then you usually have to stay at least a year 
year. Although some places have changed. There's some places that, you know, they vest every quarter. Some places vest, Mm -hmm. you know, every six months. But most places vest every year. So, like, you know, on a given day every year, you know the stock is going to convert from being a restricted stock unit to actually being stock that you can buy. So, like, you know, it might have been, you know, $50,000 in restricted stocks and then on that day it converts it shows you what the real amount is based on whatever the stock market is that day and presumably there's two things that people want to happen one they want it to go up and then two depending on your financial situation you want to hold it for a while because you want to you hope that it will keep going up so that if you know one day you might use so so some people they don't budget in the, the, the stock units as a part of their daily budget. So they'll just like hold that and be like, okay, if I want to buy a house or that's my retirement account, I'm just going to leave that, right? So again, that's how it works. The idea of startups being able to attract talent is going to be um, a bit shaky coming in the future. When Bolt gave stock options to employees, they also allowed employees to borrow money mm-hmm. from the company to buy more. So they were making money off of their employees, this brand, this very young fintech startup. One individual borrowed $100,000 from both yep. to buy more stocks. And then weeks later was laid off. And in true form, both was asking to, um, that the loan come due. He's unemployed anymore, so it's not a loan anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even imagine what's going through this guy's head. It, it, first of all, he doesn't have a job. He he, the realization that the company is not what he thought it was. So he obviously he thought enough of the company to accept some of his salary and stock, and enough of the company to accept a loan from the company mm-hmm. to buy the stock. And now he's being hit in the face with the realization that both of those things are not true. The company is not stable. The value of the stock, what is that? How much of the stock do I own? How exposed am I? And I don't even have a job. Um, yeah. What's the best question that someone should ask um, when considering a deal from a startup? So, so two things there. So first of all, Bolt is also kind of unique because remember they had the CEO and founder who had the complete meltdown and basically said that there's like a mafia of like Y Combinator and some other people who are trying to like manipulate the whole industry. So there's a little bit of a unique situation because Bolt partially was self-sabotaged by someone who just maybe he wanted to be the next Elon Musk but Elon Musk is the only Elon Musk right like you can't just go out there and badmouth a whole bunch of people the claim that this guy made and I think you I don't think he's well let me see so the claim that this we're on the same page the claim that this man made was that he was hindered from success or blackballed or at least um, blocked because the VCs had more of an interest in a competitor fast Yes. Right. And if that is true, if this claim is true, it buttresses what we've been saying earlier today, which is like friends or friends. Yep. Exactly. The VC is incentivized to make sure to pour gas artificially on a particular startup so that it can win at the detriment of another. I mean, that's been the strategy of SoftBank, right? That's one of the reasons why SoftBank investments were so um, large at very early stages to say, take this money, blitz scale to avoid the competition getting any grounds, right? So that is a strategy. Um, I think he his mistake was saying it in a room full of people that had power over him. Well, he said it on Twitter. Yeah, that was stupid. That was really dumb. He could have said it in a room, he just didn't yeah. need to say it on Twitter. So I, I, so I mentioned that because I think it's context, right? Because part of their problems, I feel like, 
like I feel like it started with that then they changed over the CEO right so that's that so there's a little bit of that like right it's, and that, and so that's a little bit of that complication there now the second part of that is ethically this feels icky this feels super icky like why would you so alone in and of itself right regardless of what situation exists a loan should be given based on someone's actual capacity to pay it back period what's so funny is so i'm i'm reminded of so black twitter is the best place to go whenever you're like feeling like confused about life just go to black twitter it will just give you your whole life and someone was like tweeting like okay so if all these companies get all this money and they don't have to they don't it doesn't have to make sense they they just get it to pay all their bills how come i have debt and I was like, that's, that makes sense, actually. I was like, why do you have debt? I was like, if, 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 they, have, if they could have lost 15, I bet $15 billion, like, I, and I, I'm not, I'm, I, like, obviously, I don't know this number off the top of my head. I bet $15 billion could, could significantly wipe out the debt for most Americans. I really do. Yeah. I really do. There's no return on that, B. I think. Yeah, I know. I get that. that. But what I'm saying is, is that when you start to think about that contrast, it starts to put yeah. in context how large of a loss this actually is. Right. And then you yeah. start, start and, and, and I'm going to say for myself personally, I started thinking back to my MBA, you know, my, 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 my MBA program. And we were talking about business fundamentals. And like when I look at a lot of these companies, it just it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, we had talked about the fact that, you know, one of my previous employers, he said he only hired someone when he had a year's worth of their salary in the bank. Right. And it's a very antiquated idea now. Right. Because now you can just borrow money. And you don't have to worry, right? But the simple reality is, is that we probably need to get back no, to things that are stocks, that simple. Huh? You pay them in stocks. That's the that's the game. Yeah, but the stocks are fake. It could all be fake. It all could be illusory. It is. No, but my yeah, point. I know, but who cares? <laughs> but my point is, is that like we need to go back to a society that there's just like these basic fundamental principles, right? You have to have a company that has product market fit. You have to figure out how to make the margin work there so that you actually have some margin so that you can actually be profitable. You have to make sure that you're not hiring thousands of extra employees that you don't need because you just have money and you can afford them. Like, you know, I look at like when I um, advise startups, it's crazy to me how many times they will hire out um, like an entire customer support team, an entire, you know, sales team. And they're, cause they're like, and we're creating, to your point, they're creating all this artificial demand. And I'm like, well, the truth is if you just slow down a little bit and focus more on making sure your product worked, you wouldn't need all those people for your demand. Right. Yeah. Because your product would, would fit the need more effectively. Right. And then from a sales perspective, you know, your product would speak for you. Right. And so you don't need 20 or 25 salespeople for your like little, you know, five million dollar round. Right. You know, you you actually probably only need five people. Right. And so there's a little bit of this like right sizing that has to start happening and hopefully will actually start happening where people start to think about this and and taking it a step back. Although the the reality about that, too, is, um, you know, so the, the, the notion of the startup founder dropout, that's also going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting if that continues to be such a theme or if it's going to be more of this idea that you're going to have these founders who have like all of this experience or like they have like this specific knowledge or the specific skill set that makes it more easy for VCs and other investors to start thinking, oh, okay, this is like the I think the mature adult thing 
is going to start being a thing. I think it's actually going to start being more of a thing, right? Because like there's going to be like with the fact that there won't be as much access, right, to to funds just generally, like there has to be something that fundamentally changes, right? Because they still have to they still have to shoot everywhere. And the only question right. becomes like do you want your date to be a little bit more seasoned? Right. Or do you want your day to just be that, you know, you know, that other person who, you know, just came up off the street? Like, so this is a question that you have to ask yourself. Are you asking that to future? Is that a question for future? I mean, I mean, but future not ready to get married. Right. So this is if they want to go from being a future to maybe, you know, Nick Cannon. Right. Because Nick Cannon at least stays around. Make sure the babies, you know, he goes to the parties. He goes, you know, he 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 hangs oh, you out. Mean in the sense that he's still spreading them out, but he comes by and pats them on the head. And says, exactly, he's concerned that they actually operational be- type of VC. Be more like Nick Cannon if you're yes. Not like future. So we basically did this whole podcast to get to that. Be Nick Cannon. Don't be future. Be responsible. Thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast. We love having you. We love your feedback. Please do connect with us across social media. We are The Drops Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask just about anything because we have experienced a ton of different things. Again, thank you so much for listening to The Drops Podcast.